0: Good morning Mount Hope. My name is Marvin Thomas and if we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at the church and this morning it's my pleasure to guide our time through the word. Today I have the pleasure of kicking off a new sermon series that we're titling Turning the World Upside Down. Over the next few weeks we're going to explore together the two letters that Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. Now it's only eight chapters long through two books and it's a quick read. I would encourage you for the next few few weeks to read through these two books once a week in one sitting. And as you do this, it's incredible how much of it you would have committed to memory and also the new insights the Holy Spirit would illuminate in you. Now, as we begin, I have a question. Have you ever had a person or a thing that frustrated you to no end? (laughs) Growing up, I had a friend who had a punching bag. Not just any punching bag, it was a Bozo the Clown punching bag. Now, whenever I went over to his house, we would spend hours on end punching and kicking Bozo the Clown. And the reason we could do this, because it was designed in a way where no matter how much you punched Bozo, he would fall to the ground and bounce right back up. In fact, it became almost a challenge for us to defeat it and get it to stay down. No matter what we did, though, it would never do that. As a matter of fact, we ended up bursting the bag before we could ever achieve that goal. It seems like there's a lot that's happening in our world today that wants to turn it upside down. And in a good way, I would argue. Movements or events that get get us to consider our health, finances, our views on justice, our views on race, or even our faith, are trying to flip our mistaken worldview to the way things really ought to be. But somehow this world, not unlike Bozo the Punching Bag, keeps bouncing back to its old self and we are back to the same conversations and the same wrongs that have been done before. It seems like nothing is really changing. No matter how hard the fight, everything stays the same. In my own life, I can think of habits or views that I've tried to change only to end up back in that same place. Maybe that's true in your own life. Maybe it's a habit or an addiction that you've tried to kick, but somehow it's made its way back. Maybe a negative friendship or a bad relationship that you work so hard to get away from, and yet you find yourself back in the same crowd. And this list can go on and on. So the question I have, what does it take to turn our lives upside down for the good? where we have permanent change, where we're able to shed our sinful habits, our actions and attitudes, and become more like God? What would it take to turn our world upside down for the good so that evils of justice, racism, violence, and criminality all fall away permanently? Well, let's take a look at the book of Thessalonians. Paul starts off the letter as, as typical with a greeting. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in the, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Paul is writing a letter, Paul is writing this letter to a church in Thessalonica, a beautiful city of prominence in the Roman world. It was located on a harbor and sat on the Via Ignatia, a main thoroughfare that connected the east and the west of the empire. It was a place of commerce and wealth with some of the great minds and plenty of religion and plenty of influence that lived there. And it is into this place that Paul, Silas, and Timothy arrive. Paul had no plans of going to Thessalonica, but he was sent there by a vision from God. And in this vision, he sees a man from Macedonia who appeals to Paul to come and help them. Realizing that this was from God, Paul abandons all plans and makes his way with his team to Macedonia. Along the way, he stops in the city of Thessalonica. And this is where we find ourselves in the story in Acts chapter 17. Paul did not plan to go to Thessalonica, but was sent there after he had a vision in which he saw a man from Macedonia appear to him and appeal to Paul to come and help. Realizing that this was a vision from God, Paul abandons all other plans and gathers his team and makes his way into Thessalonica. And this story is found in Acts 17. Acts 17, verses 2 through 4. And Paul went up, went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus, with whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. The synagogues in Thessalonica were often frequented by the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, who were curious and wondering about God. As God's go, they had zoos and a pantheon of gods, but they longed, but there were a few that longed for true substance and a real understanding of who God was. And so through the ministry of Paul and many of the Jews and Greeks were drawn to and they accepted the gospel. The story continues in in verses 5 through 8. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Let's pause. Jason, we assume, is where uh, the house of Jason is where we assume that Paul and his team were staying during their time. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and now they're all acting against the decrees of of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus." And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. To the Greeks in Thessalonica, Paul and his group were men who turned the world upside down. Not a bad title to have. The men turned the world upside down not because of their insurrection within the Roman system or their disobedience of the laws of the land, but they did it in a special way. They did it through the words of the gospel. When Paul presented the Gospel to the people, it turned the world upside down, for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. The Gospel challenged their notion of their identity. It challenged the devotion to their gods, causing them to turn away from their idols and then follow Jesus. It challenged their allegiance to Caesar as king and pushed them to worship Jesus as the true king. It challenged the exclusivity of their religions. The Gospel brought together the Jews and the Gentiles in unity. It challenged the notions of being less than or better than in God's eyes. The Gospel made all of them equal. So when the Gospel appeared, their world was flipped upside down. The beginning of any meaningful and permanent change in our world today is the Gospel. Now the Thessalonians did not take kindly to it and responded angrily and violently to this affront. To their way of life so paul and his team left thessalonica to carry on the work that god had entrusted to them in the last few months we found ourselves in a place where everything seems to have turned upside down some for the right reasons and some definitely not but for lasting change to happen that impacts people to the core of their heart and actions we need the gospel though this through this message and our series we're going to take a closer look at what this message is, what this gospel is. This message that turns the world upside down. God sent Paul and his group to bring the gospel to the the Thessalonians. And they did. They turned the culture upside down. But the question is, did it stick? Well, let's fast forward. About a year later, Paul sends Timothy back to the city of Thessalonica to encourage them, and Timothy comes back with a report of how this new church was doing. It would be easy to assume that because of the violence and the persecution, the church pulled back and maybe even completely shut down. But instead, Timothy's report is that the church is growing and it's excited and it's vibrant. And why is that? Let me take you to verses four and five of 1 Thessalonians 1. For we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. In other words, the gospel grew because of how it came. Their world was changed upside down because of the appearance of the gospel. The gospel came to them in word and in power. The power of the gospel was not merely in its words, but in the way that the people proclaiming the words lived. Paul says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. What the Thessalonians heard from Paul, Silas, and Timothy was convincing to them because of what they saw in them. In other words, the gospel did not just come to them in mere words. It came to them in word and power. The power of the gospel was not displayed merely in words, but in also the way they lived. Paul is saying, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. They got a chance, the Thessalonians got a chance to examine Paul and see that the gospel he was proclaiming was no different in, than the way he was living. The message and the messenger were one and the same. The testimony of their lips were backed up by the testimony of their lives. The gospel came to them in word and example. The gospel, mind you, cannot be separated from the people sharing it. And when a life on display backs up preaching lips, the gospel becomes unstoppable. You may have heard people will follow your footsteps quicker than they follow your advice. You see, the world today is in desperate need of direction. They're in desperate need of the gospel, but not just a gospel of words, but a gospel displayed in the way we live our lives. But wait, there's more. The gospel came to them in word, in power, and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. My wife Jen and I, we love to travel, and someday our son Judah will do as well. But when we do travel, we usually fly to our destinations rather than drive. So I was thinking about the last time I was in a flight, which seems like an eternity ago. And I remember vaguely right as we board and we're about to take off, they have the in-flight safety instructions. Now I would not be able to tell you exactly what they said because honestly, I wasn't paying any attention. I was a little busy setting up my, setting up my phone, play, setting up my music or, and a podcast or whatever I did that day so I could get through the flight the message that the the attendants were bringing was important it could mean the difference of life and death in a situation of emergency but for me i wasn't paying any any attention but i also remember another time when i was on a different aircraft when jen and i went skydiving now on this plane as we're climbing up to ten thousand feet and as far as i could remember i paid attention to every word that the pilot and my tandem said. You see, there was something convincing about this situation that made me realize that I need to hear everything that he's saying. And the convincing piece of the was this. It was the awareness of my need for their help or else I would not make it back to the ground safely. You see, when the gospel comes to us, there's a greater work at hand. Beyond just listening to the words... The Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work convicting our hearts and reminding us of our deep need for a Savior. It's not simply enough to hear the gospel. We need to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, convicted of our sinfulness and our inability to remedy it. Convicted of the depravity of our souls and reminded that only Christ can cure it. Paul is saying that God's choice is made manifest by the fact that the gospel came to you in word, power, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, this is how I know that God has chosen you, because of the way the gospel came to you. The world is changed by the gospel that came to us. Our worlds are changed by this gospel. See, God has chosen each and every one of us. So how do you know? Have you really accepted this gospel? How do you know that you've actually responded to this gospel? Well, let's continue. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And you became imita- imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul's writing that not only did the gospel come to us, it also works in us. When it came to the Thessalonians, it changed who they were. It changed their identity. It changed them, it it created in them an attitude of repentance, empowering them to turn from their sins, from their idols, to trust in Jesus. You may have heard the name Patrick Reynolds. If you don't, if you don't know, Patrick serves as the executive director of the Foundation for a Tobacco-Free World. He's an activist with the message, Why People Shouldn't Smoke. What's interesting about his story is not his activism or his message, but instead who his family was. His grandfather was R.J. Reynolds, the founder of the second largest tobacco company in America. Patrick watched over time as his father, R.J. Reynolds Jr., his older brother, R.J. Reynolds III., and other members of his family die from cigarette-induced emphysema and lung cancer. Concerned about the mounting health evidence, he made the decision to speak out against the industry that his father and his f- his family helped build. He left the business. He doesn't collect any money from it. And is even quoted by saying as saying, I want to make up for all the damage my family has done. You see, this is what This is a picture of what it looks like to turn from what was an idol to a new way of life. Leaving everything that defines you in the past, doing a 180, and now taking on the new identity in Christ. You turn from what you knew was wrong and follow Him as your life changes. See, when the gospel impacts our hearts and minds, it moves us from mere listeners to actively living out the gospel. While the work of convicting is the Holy Spirit's, the work of following and forsaking is ours. We follow Christ, forsake everything else. The question in this morning is Have we forsaken what was old and taken on what is new? Have you forsaken what is yours and taken on what is Christ's? You see, the problem that we face in the church today is those who have encountered the gospel but do not follow up with the forsaking of the idols of their past. The problem we encounter in the church is when we treat the gospel and the biblical worldview as an add-on to the way we already live, instead of realizing that it should be a replacement of those things. You see, so often we take our identity and we just add the gospel onto it. We take our ethnicities and our races and add on the gospel to it. Or we take on the f- our likes and desires and add on the gospel to it. And what we're left with is an incomplete, a wrong version of the gospel. We're like that of the Clown bouncing back to our old ways when we do not give into the work of the Holy Spirit. Our world starts to change when the gospel changes us, but the work doesn't stop there. You see, the world is changed by the gospel that came to us, the gospel that works in us, and the gospel that flows out of us. In verse 3, Paul is writing this, that he's remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells them, we know that God chose you, that he has turned your life upside down, he has shaken away sin and death, and it's obvious because of this, because of the, fa- the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. You see, these are the marks of a true Christian. Listen to what I'm saying. These are the marks of a true Christian, not a perfect Christian. You see, the church in Thessalonica is still a young church. They're still developing. And as a matter of fact, after these glowing uh, commendations of their faith and hope and love, Paul is going to admonish and correct and remind them of what it means to live lives of holiness and purity. So by no means are they perfect, but the basics of what it means to be a Christian is on display in them. How does Paul know that the gospel has powerfully gripped the life of the Thessalonians? It was evidence in their work of faith. They were already spreading the gospel, of, the, the gospel of, of Jesus by faith in him. They were getting places before Paul could. The church was already exploding with the gospel because of their faithful work. It was evidence in their labor of love. You see, Paul knew that they had love because of the way they embraced him and the way, and the way they embraced one another. Through their love, they became a diverse community of believers. The love that is mentioned in this instance is a love that costs something. There's a high cost involved in this love for the Thessalonians. They paid a significant price when they received the good news of Jesus and turned their backs on their culture and even to Caesar. The price that they would pay in persecution that they faced and the violence that they endured was enormous but all accepted as a labor of love. It was evidence in their steadfast hope. Even in the darkest of times, they never stopped hoping. Even in the face of persecution and trial, they kept their hope up. You see, the world is changed by people, Christ followers like you and me, who operate in faith, love and hope. A faith that is grounded in the redeeming work of Christ. A love that is boundless, pays a price, and is given as it was received. A love that does not discriminate, exclude, condemn, or condescend. A love that esteems others higher than themselves. And a hope that flies in the face of trials and hard times. You see, when life comes at you as it has for the past few months, we can rely on the hope that we have in Christ a hope of healing, a hope of peace, a hope of justice, a hope of restoration. Paul reminds us that we're all uh, all called and chosen by God. This is displayed to us in how he brings the gospel to us. Take a moment to look at your own lives. Think of the time where you first encountered the gospel. Think of how you responded to it and the journey that you've been on since then. I can tell you without the shadow of a doubt that God had it all scripted and planned out even before you knew it. It came through people who got used. It came in word and in power. It came in conviction. The world is changed by a gospel that came. The world is being changed by a gospel that is working in us right now. But before it can move the world through you, the gospel has to first move you. Jesus accomplished the work on the cross as only he could do. He did the part that he could do. But now he's inviting us to join him in doing the rest. Have you surrendered to this gospel? Have you let the Holy Spirit convict you? Do you allow God to do his daily work in you? When the Spirit convicts, do you repent? Do you turn back? When the Spirit shows you areas of weakness, do you surrender to Him? You see, before God can do the work of changing the world through us and setting it upside down, He is looking to do that work in us first. Does your life look different now than before you accepted the gospel? Has it been turned upside down? Have you allowed God to chip away and trim away the things that reflect sin and bring into being the things that reflect Christ? This morning, would you let God do His work in you? See, the gospel is changed, the world is changed by a gospel that flows into us, works in us, and flows out of us. There is a work that God is looking to do in the world through His people. Will you live lives of faith, labor in love, and remain strong in hope? Because if you do, you become the people that turn the world upside down. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that comes to us. We thank you for the gospel that came to us in power, in word, in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in conviction. Lord, I thank you for the word that comes to us and changes us, redeems us, restores us, renews us. And as the work in us continues, the work goes out of us. And Lord, we thank you for you, you use us to bring your hope to a world that so desperately needs it. Lord, I pray that you would use each of us to lead and guide your people. Lord, we thank you for your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.